Yes, we are. It's by Stanley Kubrick. Yes, it is. It is directed by Stanley Kubrick, a notable film director. And was the and it was trans it was put on screen from the novel by yeah. Kubrick. It was yeah, it was based on the novel by Anthony Burgess. But did he do that? What do you mean by did he do that? Did he write this? No, the, the he did the screenplay. Yeah. Screenplay by Kubrick, yeah. Right. So like that's what I mean. It was translated from novel to screenplay by Stanley Kubrick. Yes. Yeah. Kubrick is one of the people who will kind of do the whole process. And starring a very, very, very young Malcolm McDowell. So young. Well, given that we think of him as an old man? Well, it was driven home when I got to the end of my Heroes rewatch and saw him on Heroes and went, oh, God! He's also one of people who has been old for forever. Hmm. Like, like, Patrick Stewart was, like, 35 or 40 when he started TNG. Right. And, like, Malcolm McDowell was 28 when he did this film. He really was he? Yeah. Okay. Just did the quick pencil math. Uh, this film was released uh, in uh, New York City, at least, uh, December 19th, 1971. And it was uh, it was interesting. I, I can give it that. It's definitely interesting. You don't forget this film. No. Although, I watched it with um, our soon-to-be guest, David, on for the Babylon 5 concepts. Mm-hmm. I watched it with him, and his note at the end was, you know, I had seen this before, but I didn't realize that everything I remembered was, like, in the first 15 minutes. I, you, yeah, you, I, I remembered the first two acts of the film, but I did not remember the third act. And I had never seen it at all. Mm-hmm. I think I was the reason it was on. I think yeah. so. Or at least like, a good I don't think I added it to the list personally, but I definitely probably saw it on, like, a list of lists. That or this may be one of the original. Maybe. Like, 50 or so. Yeah. Um, in any case, I don't know really how to review it. It's bizarre. So the plot is is a dystopian future where our young anti-hero definitely, definitely, I don't know, protagonist? Is he considered a protagonist? I can't call him a protagonist because he's horrible. Yeah, I mean, the... He's a horrible sociopath. The closest thing I can think of in my mind of a character like... This is sort of an, um, like in the Scorsese films, like Wolf of Wall Street. Sure. Where you are supposed to really dislike the main character. Right. So we have the main character, Alex DeLarge, who leads a gang in a dystopian future. They get hopped up on goof milk and then go do horrible things. Beating up people, raging, raping, torturing. Yeah, house invasion... You know, very complex and maneuvering. They, they do it all. And he's still in high school. And eventually, Alex's excessive behaviors kind of um, interfere with his gang. And they, they turn on him, and he gets put in prison. And then he is uh, carried through the prison system. And he gets out to try an experiment. And the last act of the movie is the results of the experiment. I don't know how many spoilers I'm supposed to give in a movie from 1971. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough film because if you haven't seen this, you've probably seen references to it. Right, now, see, I I was aware of A Clockwork Orange, but I did not think it was the movie that it was. I thought it was a different movie. Okay, what, what did you... There is, um... There is a movie out there 
that has a character called Nurse Ratchet. You were thinking of um, Love of the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes, that's what I was thinking of. Which is a fa- which is a legitimate like, favorite film of mine. That was what I was thinking this was. Okay. Then, obviously, it's not. Yeah, that that film I feel like I can still recommend, and I've watched that a few times since initial viewing. I think in the past five years or so. And it's definitely on my list of things to watch. Yeah, you should yeah, watch that film. Classic. Um. So in any case, I don't want to spoil too much, but I will say, if you haven't watched the movie, this review probably will seem like a lot of gibberish at times. Yeah, we might actually have to go into sort of some spoiler, because that can get any sort of theme or why or why we, why we reacted, how we reacted. Right. The, the core concept of this seems to be, like, there's no hold barred on the level of various violences committed. Um, and your main character is hands down at least some sort of sociopath character. He has no... He's turned on by violence in its many forms. Yeah, he just... He, there's no stopping there's no understanding of... Well, he knows it's wrong. He, he recognizes that it's society... It's, it's wrong, wrong on paper. But he doesn't care. Um, and it's not for any kind of personal gain. He gets true pleasure out of it. He, they show him at the end of his like first evening that you see him... He just tosses the loot he gets into a drawer and doesn't even think about it. And when his gang wants to do big jobs, like crimes that actually profit, he seems fairly disinterested. He doesn't care about profiting. This is just a really terrible game to him when it comes down to it. Which makes sense, because I know in the author's version, there is a chapter that was left out at the end of the book in the, uh, the U.S. version for quite a while. Where basically, at the end of the novel, he kind of starts realizing that there's no real... It's not worth it to do all these horrible things, and that maybe creating things is actually a more positive way to channel his energies. Like, there's a there's a semi-redemptive quality to the novel. Yeah, I know that was sort of an issue with the film the author had initially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's it's it looks like the the author's reaction to the film is a very complex and it's changed over time. Right, he's definitely gotten more negative about it. He started actually pretty pretty. Well, I think it's supportive. a fairly faithful adaptation of the actual novel, minus the but, ending, absolutely. Yeah, which is sort of he doesn't blame Cooper or he didn't blame Cooper at the time, but I think a lot of it has changed because of this. This is one of those films that, and you, you brought this up last night, and what brought this to my life watching it was. A, uh, Manassi articles tweeted something, you know, if someone's favorite films are, you know, Fight Club and American Psycho, just walk away. And this feels that same, I haven't seen either of those films, but the way people describe those, it seems like that, it's the same vein of people who like those films. That said, I've watched Fight Club. Mm-hmm. And I still feel it's, I would watch it again. Okay. Whereas I won't be watching Tom Borkwanji ever. No, I don't see myself... But the people who like this, especially... Yeah. Now, I will agree, the American Psycho, I've seen it once, and it's it's nothing for me. Mm-hmm. I don't mind movies that use violence, or are, like, uh, especially uh, Fight Club, and this, in a way, are very critical of the system, quote-unquote. Um very anarchist. And I don't mind that on paper as long as there's something that you can get out of the film. And this, this, this doesn't feel like there's a lot to get out of this. I don't think... There might have been in when it was written and when it was made. Yeah. But like, I think I'm a lot in, of that is separated now. Right, I'm not in the early 70s. I'm not in that mindset. I can't 
think from their point of view, really. Yeah, I feel like the, the idea of, like, roving gangs in the way this film presents them. It, that was actually the most, like, to me, rang most true for a dystopian future. You know, that's kind of, like, one of the things you think about, you know, like a lawlessness. Yeah, but I, I think we don't... That's not a concept we have anymore in sort of the way... Like, we don't have that theory much anymore, I don't think. I think it depends on where you are. Like, I don't think we, we have don't. that fear. But, but I, think even that, in, I think depending on where you are, like, I would be willing to say that maybe maybe Detroit has a different fear than we do. But it's not a cultural fear anymore. Like, as a culture, we're not no, seeing that presented anymore. At least not in the current American group mind. No. But in, in this, you know, late 60s, 70s, that was part of the group mind. Really? Yeah, no, I feel like you see that idea more in that era of dystopia, you know, dystopia, societal collapse idea. I'm not sure. I'll think about that more. But he... And this could be one of those, I'm, I'm inferring that from this film as sort of a focal point of that time period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Apparently Burgess and Kubrick were pretty good friends. And then, like, um... Then they kind of had a falling out when, um... Kubrick just didn't help him defend his work. Kubrick kind of distanced himself from any kind of, you know, defense of the film. Kubrick doesn't talk about it. It's one of those... Kubrick doesn't talk about his films. So... So Burgess is left trying to defend the film, and a lot of the critics are saying, well, this is a, this is a movie that's sole purpose is to glorify violence. I, say, I don't... And that's not true. That's not true. I don't... You're not watching the film if you're... If you're Seeing that, now this is um, it's not glorifying violence. It's not glor, but it's also you know critical of the system. I thought it did what it did well, which is it. And actually, in certain ways, I feel that it engages us today because it's just it's telling you the story about this boy who's bored. He's bored with society. He's bored with life, and this is how he behaves because he has no real. No real boundaries. No one controls him. He just does what he wants to do. It kind of reminds me of a lot of like the kids, the kids that are being up, brought up now. It yeah, it has that sort of you know, I'm gonna use the terribly memey term affluenza. Hmm. But I think you know, it's I, I think it doesn't ring true because he would have in today's if, if we're telling the story today, he would have just gotten out, gotten away with it. Hmm. His parents could afford to right, although they were a very middle class, was, yeah, very very middle class family. And at the same time, it is telling you some interesting things about, um, like, it, it, it does criticize government very effectively. It criticizes government, it criticizes the system, particularly the, the prison system. The prison system, the political system, which is especially important now. Um, my favorite part was the fact that they, they didn't care about rehabilitation or human rights, they just cared about reducing recidivism. Yeah. That was it. If you are going to, if they can do something to you to where you won't be in jail again, it doesn't matter what it's going to do to you. That's fine. That's the most cost-efficient way to do things. Let's do that. And I found it interesting and not really that far-fetched. No, see, that's, it's almost, well, we've kind of changed the way we we do our attack of We'll get rid of recidivism by not letting you out of prison. You know, we sort of changed our tack on the yeah. way we solve our prison problem. Which isn't really working that well either. No, it's, that's, a, it's a, that's a different... That's a different podcast. Yeah, it's a different podcast for people who are more informed than we are. Definitely. Um, but no, like, 
I can't say. I think that... I don't think... I'm a huge fan of Kubrick, is what it comes down to at the end of the day. I like 2001. And as far as it's gone with me watching Kubrick films, that's about it. 2001, you, I, you've talked highly of um, Dr. Strangler, haven't you? No. Um, really? I've watched it, and I didn't mind it. Okay. And for what I'm saying, it still qualifies as a film that I like, because basically I felt like the direction of the actors was off. He's not a... I, I, I think his talent is more in design aesthetic, camera work. Because the acting was just off. It's wooden at yes. best. Yeah. Uh, and I think that gives the disconnected feeling of Alex Delarge. At parts, I will say that he is just a... Like, Matthew McDowell is just an incredibly talented mm-hmm. actor, because he shows through. Like, he gets, he's like one of the few characters that doesn't seem wooden. He's the only character that doesn't seem wooden. He's the only memorable character in the film. And if that was his, if that was Kubrick's plan, to make everything else two-dimensional, make Alex Delarge the only real thing, then bravo. That, which He's, might have been the case. It, it could be. Because the rest of the world is sort of incredibly surreal. But I don't want to fall into this trap that these Kubrick fans... Trying to interpret Kubrick? Yeah, where they're just like, they're, they're like, he must, like, he could be a raving moron, and just people will build him up. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen a huge amount of Kubrick. I got through five minutes of the, um, of the Oh, Room 237? Yeah, and I'm just like, no. This, oh, that, that to me is the best comedy ever made. It was just too ridiculous for words. Oh, that's a comedy. Is that that film can only watch as a comedy with a big bowl of popcorn in front of you while you laugh at crazy people. It was it was really odd. Um, that said, I think Cooper's very talented. I think that he had his finger in every aspect of this film. He must be an incredible control freak and horrible to work with. Oh, I think I think that is a well documented fact. I mean, I know you don't like The Shining, but that is a film where everyone was on set the entire time because he filmed that film in chronological order. Oh, that's rough. Yeah. Yeah. And it would torment, you know, torment the, the lead actress. I heard... Get her I all jittery. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, he makes... Sounds like he makes Hitchcock seem like a normal human being to work with. That's a talent. Isn't it? Isn't but, it? So... No, so everything else seems working. If that was his goal, bravo. He did it. And it could be interpreted as such, but in any case, it was kind of like, it lends to the, it was a really boring movie, <laughs> which is really disturbing to me because it's just the violence levels are so ramped up in it, I feel like almost guilty that it was boring. Well, the violence is really in, that, again, that first third. True, there's not much left after that. Yeah. And that first third is about 40, you know, it's not a short film, it's about 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. It was a long movie. It's a long fucking... It's, it's a long movie and it's very clearly defined to three segments, even. Absolutely. And it's just very boring. It's a dull film. It's a dull, ponderous film. And this comes from someone who loves 2001. Like, legitimately, it's a top ten sci-fi film. It definitely strikes me as, like... I think that it would be interesting as, like, a play. Yeah. It's designed well to be a play. It, it has a very stage-like... Quality, the sort of large exaggerated props, mm-hmm. garish color, and it's maybe again. I, I don't want to again apply that to Cooper, but again, it seems almost intentional. Mm-hmm. Where things have that upstage, downstage, operatic feel. Yeah, it made me um. Don't watch that thought. 
That was good. It was... I don't know, it's just really hard to really get into this movie to, to review it. I will say it was interesting to... Like, within the first five minutes, I realized that I was sliding into um, the Shakespeare mode. Which is that it takes you about five to ten minutes of watching Shakespeare to to process the language more readily. It, yeah, I mean, again, I think anytime you watch sort of non-London English accents... It's not the accents. It's the, well, it's the, it's they, the have their own, they have their own language a little bit, too. Yeah. And you can start processing it pretty easily. Just like, you know, there's a lot of stuff you wouldn't recognize in Shakespeare as common vocabulary. But you can start processing gaps in the language that you don't know. Yeah, I mean, them. you'll use... There's always almost always side notes or footnotes. I just mean, like, watching Shakespeare. Yeah, okay. Not like reading it. I'll reading look, it's a lot easier. I don't know the last time I watched a Shakespeare thing. We watched that, um, a few months ago, we watched that. Joss uh, No, no, well, we watched that, like, almost a year ago, which was pretty decent. But no, we watched the Leo DiCaprio, Claire Danes, Romeo and Juliet. You know Romeo plus Juliet? Yeah. Okay. And that was, like, it's, it's, word for word, I think, for the 90% of it, it's rock. Accurate. I yeah, then like a few tweaks of yeah, they definitely tweaked a couple from, from like families a company or something like that. Yeah. So, but you know, like it's it's the same processing. It, for the record, the human brain amazes me that you can do that. Oh, that it's so plastic. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's crazy. It's the same thing like when they start messing with the words in between or the letters in between, like the book and the correct letters of a word, mm-hmm. and you can still process what it's saying. Yeah, it's, I, I'm always impressed with the, you know, that how fluid language is. Pattern recognition. Mm-hmm. Well, our, our brains are really good at that to a fault. Yes. If we learn one thing, that's our brains are, you know, will over-recognize a pattern. Mm-hmm. But, that said, uh, let's see, music was bizarre. Yeah. Well, the music was a, a lot of it, some of it was orchestral. Right. The, the, what wasn't classical, or chamber, was... Like, synthesized classical. Yes. Because, like, our, our it, Alex DeLarge really, really likes uh, Ludwig van Beethoven a lot. Yeah, that's a, sort of a major uh, plot point that we haven't gone into much of. No, I, I don't feel like... I don't, I, I don't want to spoil the film for people who haven't seen it. No. But I, mean, I do think you probably should see it once, just for the filmic language of it. I would watch it once because it is a classic, and if you if you want to if you want to be I don't know what the I'd say I would well I would say literary yeah you know culturally literate with films then it's a film that you should see. That said, I at the same time I have trouble recommending it. Yeah, I mean I, I can't again. I think I'm in the same boat where. Like, I watched it, and I'm glad that I've watched it, and I can say, no, I watched that, it's crap, I'm never watching it again. That's what I... Yeah, yeah I mean, I think you're, yeah, it's, a, it's an uncomfortable film, it's but now, slow... But now, if it comes up, I can at least talk about it from an educated point of view, at least in terms of having experience it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't enjoy it. I thought it was boring, unwieldy, and awkward. That's that's against Cooper. That's, that's, that's actually Cooper. Boring and really and awkward. I think so. I think that's the. Uh, you it's know. not gonna be on his gravestone. It's. I think he's already dead. So he is. I didn't know that. I just figured he was a recluse somewhere with you know tissue boxes on his feet and 
No, I think I think that phase is over. No, I did I didn't mind Doctor Strange love. It, it's humorous. Yeah, I think his kind of, he's one of the people who gets strange when his career's gone on. And I and I like two thousand one. I don't like adore it like you do, but I think it's a solid film. But that's about it. I mean Yeah, I mean I haven't seen like Spartacus or um All Part on the Eastern Front. I saw Spartacus when I was a kid, and I can't like really judge it anymore. And I haven't seen all quite on the Eastern Front either. Yeah, so I, I, I can't talk about his entire... I mean, but my experience has been slow, but sort of, you know, visually interesting films. Was he prolific? Decently so. He got at least 12 or 14 films. Now I'm, like, looking through the list. Just I've, saw, I've seen Full Metal Jack, and it wasn't really my cup of tea. I avoided Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, again. Ponderous, weird. But he's, he's had a big, long film. He had a big, long film career. I saw AI, and I did not like AI. Well, he, that was Spielberg, wasn't it? It was Spielberg. But it was based on a concept. Okay. Concept and original story outline. Yeah, I think that's one of those films that who knows how. It doesn't. You know where it started, where it ended. It from doesn't him. matter. It really sucks. Yeah. But one of those films again, if you merging is the production history of that film. Fair enough. Is there anything else with this film we wanted to bring up? No. It's such an awkward review. It's, it, this is a really... This, this is definitely one of our worst episodes, I think. It's it's going to go down a little bit, because it's just it, such a hard topic to really wrap your brain around. It wasn't... It, it's it, not it, easy to understand. It would take a few more viewings than we gave it to really be able to talk about it effectively. Yeah, and I don't hate myself that much. I hate myself a decent amount. And we probably would have had to read the book as well to get a good... to get a good episode out of this. Which I still may. Yeah, I think I'm more inclined to now. Um, I know um, my fiance um, read it in high school, and she didn't mind it too much. Well, I feel that that's the age. So we need to get two comments from um, oh, okay. Basil Bertercast the third of uh, Awesome Cast podcast. There you go. So his first was: if you have a clockwork any other fruit, what would that be, and how would you incorporate it into the film? How was an orange incorporated into the film? I don't think it was. I mean, like, color-wise? Maybe, but... There wasn't a lot of... Uh, the whole palette was garish, though. It wasn't just orange. Right. Clock, would I clockwork any other fruits? I think apples should need to be clockwork. There was a manga called A Clockwork Apple, actually, right. that was just kickstarted from uh, Digital Manga Publishing. Okay. And I would... What, uh, it would be a different... It would be a different film, though. Oh. A Clockwork Apple would be, like, a steampunk version of Johnny Appleseed. <laughs> I am just gonna... You know, stab myself in the stomach right now. That <laughs> very thought. I, I am going to go with a clockwork kumquat. Okay. It's fun to say. It is clockwork kumquat. Yep, I enjoyed it. That's that's the uh, that's the entire little clockwork kumquat. Second, was his second comment. His second comment was: I saw that movie when I was young, dumb, and in high school. Is there any? Is it worth watching any other way? No. 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 You, that's uh. You saw it the best. If time you were not like sixteen. I feel like 16 is the peak age to watch this film. Sure, you get to see nudity and violence and all kinds of things that you probably want to And then to you see. watch it like nine years later and go, oh, good crap. No, you're good. Yeah, no, it's about, yeah. Like, watch Cherish it, your memories. Watch it once you're 16, be disturbed by it, because hopefully you're disturbed by it, because then, you know, you can, you can at least prove you're human. <laughs> it's a fucking Gom Jabbar just a humanity, this film, how you react to it. <laughs> I will not care. <laughs> and that was our requisite Dune reference for this podcast. <laughs> That's more of a game that thing than a podcast thing. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. Although it's been creeping up a lot, this Dune stuff around me. Oh, man. 
Oh, I have a, I have a terrible idea, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to pull that trigger. Not yet? No. Alright. That's, that's going to be a two-key two podcast. Interesting. Um, any other comments on this? Nope, that was just it from Basil. They, uh, they should have stayed away from this. this. This is no good. Don't ask questions about this. Ask questions about fun stuff. Unless you ask bizarre, funny questions like the uh, Clockwork Kumquat question. Clockwork Kumquat. Yeah, it doesn't get the boring yet. It hasn't gotten, it hasn't gotten not silly yet. Not yet. Alright, so what's our next film? Well, so I pulled a random pick. Ooh. And after watching this, I'm like, man, I need to watch something that's goofy and fun. Yeah, we haven't had a, a lighthearted one in a while, have we? Uh, no, we really haven't. I maybe, like, um, Golf Force might have been the last thing I could think of that's got that levity to it. Okay. So I, I realized we haven't talked about it in a while is uh, the largest film franchise, which is, of course, Godzilla. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, Godzilla is, is, is still the largely largest film franchise. I think 29 or 30 films. Jesus. Yeah. So which Godzilla are we watching? Because I know that we've been we've had this in the hopper for a while. This has been, this has been in the hopper for about a year, and ch- more than a year, I think, now. The Blu-rays came out. Yeah, the Blu-rays came out a while. Well, some of the Blu-rays came out. Not all of them? No, there's 29 films. Oh, I mean, like, there was a special release of... Yeah, like, there was a Blu-rays. recent... Re- like, yeah, the at least three. But I am going to go, it's been a while since we've done Godzilla, um, and I am going to go into that core era of Godzilla camp, the 1970s. Oh, so this is no longer like serious filmmaking, this is Camp Godzilla. Oh, this is, this is Camp Godzilla. And I am going to go with what, not, not, the, not the noted worst Godzilla film, but one of the ones that's definitely the bottom five. Oh, thank you for that. Godzilla versus Gigan. Godzilla versus Gigan. Who is Gigan? Gigan, um, if you look at descriptions on a TV guide, he will be described as a large black chicken. Of course. It's not entirely accurate. Uh, he has knives for hands, and it involves space aliens. Like one does. So, um, I think it's time to get some really cheesy Camp Godzilla. Alright, this will be my first cheesy camp Godzilla. Yes. Yes, it will. I'm going from serious Godzilla that I liked to my surprise to this. Well, we, uh, I feel like this is this is this continuing on the downward climb that we've done with Godzilla so far of seriousness. Because we did Godzilla versus uh, Monster Zero. Oh, that is true. I forgot about that one. Yeah, which is, again, sort of on that downward climb. Alright, fair enough. We'll see people next time. Remember... The the delve is being cut in half because we are doing our Babylon Five episode rewatch, or the super delve. And the next Babylon Five will be episodes one through four. Remember, one through four. Get your decoder rings out now.